In our text, we meet 10 men. Scripture doesn't tell us much about them. It gives us their gender. It gives us their number. It gives us their race. Nine of them were Jews, descendants from Abraham. One of them was a Samaritan. The Scripture makes it clear that they are 10 unique individuals. They are not related as far as we know. They're 10 unique individuals that have one thing in common. They have leprosy. Leprosy, a highly contagious bacterial disease that affects the outside and the inside of the body. On the outside, it causes numbness, which leads to sores and painful oozing lesions on the body. On the inside, it wreaks havoc on the central nervous system, causing partial paralysis, which eventually leads to the loss of extremities. A leper's body literally falls apart while they're alive. The disease is insidious because it would allow you to live long enough to watch yourself fall apart. It's painful to the soul to live long enough to watch things that are precious to you fall apart while you're walking. And if you have lived long enough to watch something precious to you fall apart, maybe you can relate a little bit to the plight of the leper. To make matters worse, because this disease was infectious, there was no cure, there was no vaccine, lepers were robbed of their common freedoms and liberties and forced to live lifestyles of social distancing. I don't know about you, I've had enough of social distancing and it's only been two months. Can you imagine having to live your life this way in social distancing? They were forced by law to distance themselves from family, from friends, and from their faith community. And I don't know about you, I, it's my opinion. You can get through almost anything in life if you've got the support of your family, your friends, and your faith community. But the lepers had to go through their crisis alone. Have you ever had to go through something hard alone? If you have, maybe you can relate to the plight of the leper. Or maybe you can relate to this. Leprosy starts out as a private problem that eventually goes public. Once the leper is diagnosed, he's by law given a leper bell. And if someone comes within a certain amount of feet of him, he has to start ringing the bell furiously and shout, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, stay away, keep your distance. And what's heartbreaking about that is you're still the same person you were before. But now that what I was dealing with privately has gone public, the same people that embrace me at 11 o'clock are fleeing from me at 5 o'clock just because private information went public. Have you ever had to deal with the change in people when your private problem goes public? People will show you what's really in their heart towards you when your private problem goes public. People that have grown up with you will act like they don't even know you when a private problem goes public.
goes public. Our society is harsh on people when their private problems go public. And you would think we would be more merciful. Because the reality is, we've all got private problems. And the only reason you don't have your bell yet is because you've been blessed to be covered. It's not that you don't have the problems. It's just that up to this point, you've been blessed enough to stay covered. David said in Psalms 32, verse 1, that it's a blessing to have your transgressions forgiven and to have your sin covered. It's a blessing to be covered. And covered people should cover people. I knew that wouldn't be a strong point. I said covered people should cover people. You got the wrong pastor if you want me to expose you and judge you and get all up in your business. And some people need to be beat down at their church, but I'm the wrong pastor for it. I'm going to be the last person on the face of this earth to judge you over a private problem. You know why? I got private problems too. But thanks be to God, he's kept me covered. And I just believe that covered people should Covered people should cover people. To the text, verse 11 starts, it happened as he went to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem. That he passed through the midst. Put your eyes on that word there. He passed through the, the midst. Everybody say it again. He passed through the The word there in the Greek is the, the outskirts the border, the hinderland, it, it was the longest route he could take to get where he was going. It would have been easier, the road would have been less difficult and dangerous if he had just gone through either Samaria or Galilee to get to Jerusalem. But instead of going through the populated area, instead of going through the well-traveled area, instead of going through the area where most of the people were, God's grace led him to the outskirts. God's grace led him to the hinderlands. God's grace led Jesus to a desolate place. He passed through the midst. Five. He passed through the midst. Five, he passed through the midst. Five is the number of grace. These quick five words are a snapshot of the gospel of grace. Right out of the text, the gospel begins to just unfold and be unveiled before us. He passed through the midst means he came where I was. When I was too broken to get to him, he came 
where I was. That's the gospel in a nutshell. He came where I was. I was in my leper colony full of an infectious disease called sin and shame. I was socially distanced. The law wouldn't let me pass. I could not get to the populated areas. So he came where I was. Some of us got saved in the populated areas. Some of us got saved in a pristine chapel. Some of us got saved in a big city in a comfortable environment with all the lights on and everything beautiful around us. But for some of us, we didn't get saved in the church. Some of us got saved in a crack house. Some of us got saved on the way to a drug deal. Some of us got saved on the way to murder somebody. Some of us got saved outside a nightclub. Some of us got saved with a needle in our arms. Some of us got saved in a hospital. Some of us got saved in a desolate place and what I love about God is he'll save you in the church or he'll save you in the street he'll save you at the altar or he'll save you in a back dark room he will save you he'll come where you are and I just gotta thank him because he went out of his way to save me he went out of his way to get to me it would have been quicker and easier to say almost everybody else but he came where I was. Verse 12, it says, As he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers and who stood afar off. Yes, they're lepers. And yes, they are afar off. And yes, by law, they have to keep their distance from him. But faith provoked them to believe. Even though we got to stay distant from him, maybe he won't stay distant from us. And yes, they were lepers. And yes, lepers have losses. Lepers lose a lot of things. They had lost health. They had lost some fingers and toes. They had lost a piece of their ear and part of their nose. And they had lost resources. They had lost opportunity. They had lost their standing in the community. But their breakthrough is not dependent on anything that they lost. I said their breakthrough is not dependent upon anything that they lost. Hear me close if you've lost something. Your breakthrough is never dependent upon anything that you have lost. Because even after all the losses, God made sure they still had their vision and they still had their voice. Everybody say it, vision and voice. First of all, they had enough vision to recognize Jesus. I said they had enough vision to recognize Jesus. The text says they're far off. They're falling apart. They're rotting on the bone. They're dying in their situation. And yet they still recognized Jesus when they saw him. And the enemy hates some of you this morning because even after all you've been through, you may be afar off, you may be distant from God, you may have backslidden, you may have all kind of issues that are rotting and decaying in your life, but you still recognize Jesus when he comes in the room. You still recognize the presence of God when he comes to the room. You're still able to look up and say, hey, that, 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 that looks like Jesus you got enough vision to recognize Jesus. So they had vision. And then number two, they had a voice. They had the ability to cry out to God. 
The vision allowed them to recognize the Lord, but their voice enabled them to access grace by faith. So look at it. Their circumstance and situation made them difficult for God to reach. It would have been easier to go through the center of the town. He had to go all the way out of his way across the border to the outskirts to the hinterlands to get them. But grace made himself available. But just because grace is available does not mean that you are absolved of any responsibility in accessing it. Just because grace is available does not automatically mean you have accessed it. You must still access grace by faith. So the vision recognized grace is here. But the faith recognized when it was time to cry out. Somebody that's been in a long, protracted season of trouble, I want to tell you, now is the time to cry out. Somebody that hasn't felt God like you used to feel him in a long time and your spirit's been dry and aching, now is the time to cry out. They said, they lifted up, they lifted up, they lifted up their voices. They lifted up their voices. I said, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus! Ah, you don't hear me. I said, they made their voice get up. They turned up the volume and said, Jesus! Master, have mercy on us. The text plays out like a master class on the doctrine of salvation. Because with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. But with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Their heart burned with belief when they saw Jesus. But they still had to get their mouth involved for the breakthrough to take place. Don't just sit there in church and let your heart burn on the inside. But stay silent and don't say nothing. If your heart's burning, you got to get your mouth involved and shout, Jesus! And it said, Jesus! Master, have have mercy on us and you will notice that they did not ask for healing they asked for mercy praying for mercy is a perfect prayer when you ask God for mercy you're asking him for something that he is full of Scripture said he is full of mercy. The scripture said his mercy is new every morning. It's always appropriate to start your day asking God for mercy. In fact, before you ask him for anything else, it would be a good idea to ask him for you could lift up your hands and ask him for mercy right now. Jesus, Master, have mercy. That, that prayer got his attention. If your other prayers seem like they're hitting an iron ceiling, change your prayer to say, have mercy on me and verse 14 says that prayer got his attention it says so when he saw them 
go back to the lyric in that song with just one look everything changes when he saw them now i want you to understand that this is not just a continuance of the narrative of the story of 10 lepers this is the living word of god this is the logos of god the debar of god the word of god when he saw them and I want to tell you prophetically, he sees you. Somebody needs to hear that. He sees you. He sees everything. The prophet said everything is naked and open before him. That there's nothing veiled before his eyes. He sees everything. He sees what you're going through. In the old church, they taught us about God's all-seeing eye. From the perspective of wanting to instill holiness and right living in us, wanting us to know anywhere you go, anything you do, God's watching you. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Key change. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. You know? And yes, God does see everything that we do, but God can see so well. He doesn't just see what you do. He sees why you did it. See, people always look at what, but they don't have enough vision to consider why. God sees how you erupted in anger. But he also saw the abuse you went through that was the why behind it. God sees how you failed. But he also saw who failed you that caused you to reap that harvest. God sees every single parent struggling to raise those kids, put food on the table, and now, for God's sake, be a teacher. And for those of you that have felt like, can this get any worse? Does anybody understand? And it's like you get, you get ignored because now all the languages, we're all in this together. Everybody's going through the whole thing. But when you do that, when you put us all together, you know what you lose? Your individuality. So now you feel like all people see is us, but nobody sees me. And God wanted me to come in here and tell you this morning that there's still one person that sees You, when he saw them, he said to them, he saw them and then he said to them, I'm going to wait on these scriptures to come back because I don't like preaching without the word. I want word by word. There we go. When he saw them, he said to them, he opened up the treasure box of his own mouth. He saw them first, and then he said to them. Now, get your mind out of the narrative. 
okay? If your mind stays stuck in the narrative when you're reading the scripture, you'll be um, poorly thought when it comes to the word. You've got to remember it's not just some rabbi or prophet saying. When Jesus said, the scripture says that he was the word in the beginning. That in the beginning was the word and that all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that, would, that was made. That's the word that said to them. It, it was the same word that spoke light into being. The same word that spoke and fish begin to swim. The same word that spoke and birds begin to fly. The same word that spoke. And the earth was decorated with flowers and blossoming trees. There's that same word that spoke, he said to them. And there was more in his words. There was more substance in his words than the sentence. When God speaks, don't just look at the sentence. Consider the substance. He says, go and show yourself to the priest. Now, in this society that we're studying in, in Bible days, around, uh, you know, those times, there was no separation between church and state. And so in order to be legally excommunicated and throw out, thrown out of a community, the priest did that. It was the priest that would declare you unclean as a leper and ban you from the city and socially distance you. Now, if for some reason your affliction subsided and you recovered, you would have to go back to that same priest that excommunicated you, have them inspect you in order to be reinstated in the community. So that's what Jesus is telling them. Go show yourself to the person that threw you out. I've learned something about God. Many times, God will send you back to the people who disrespected you and force them to reinspect what he's done in your life and make the same people that threw you out let you back in. I'm just going to tell you this. There is no feeling like being let back in by the same one that told you you had to get out. There is no feeling like being respected by the same person who disrespected and dishonored you. There is no feeling like it. It's what David meant when he said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There is no eating like the eating you do when you're eating in front of somebody that hopes you choke on the meal. Go back to the priest. Show yourself. In this season, God's going to let many of you go show yourself. You're going to go show yourself in the community. You're going to show yourself at work. You're going to show yourself. You are going to show that God raises his people up during times of crisis. You're going to make some people put some respect on your name. The next time they see you, you're not going to be the same you that they saw the last time. Push somebody and say, put some respect on it. He says, go show yourself to the priest. And the scripture says, and as they went, as they went, as they went, they were. 
Notice the as they went. Means this miracle did not happen immediately. But while they worked on following the word, God worked on sending the miracle. But if there would have been no obedience to following the word, there would have been no miracle. Miracles and instructions are always tied together. When you need a miracle from God, what you need first is an instruction, a word on it. So he says, go show yourself to the priest. And as they walked out that word of instruction, God worked out the miracle that they needed in their life. Next verse. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. Next verse. And fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So you got nine descendants of Abraham, the Jews. And then you got one gentleman of a different race. He's a Samaritan. And uh, only one of the group comes back to say thank you to the God that just gave them their life back. Not everyone responds correctly to God's blessings. Usually only one out of ten feel the instinct to give God a praise that's compensatory with the blessing he has released. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said, Ah, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Two things in this verse. Number one, you cannot evaluate your significance based off the thanks you've received. You're more significant than how you've been thanked. How do I know that? Because however significant you are, Jesus is far more significant than you. But Jesus wasn't even thanked to the level of his significance. If Jesus wasn't thanked to the level of his significance, and he's the greatest ever, then that tells me that a lot of you are underthanked for how you've performed and for how significant you are. Some of you have been giving 100% effort and been getting a 10% thanks. You've been killing it during this crisis. You've been the strong one for your whole family. You've been literally the pillar holding everything up, and you've been giving 100% and a teeny little thanks. You know how you feel, don't you? When you work hard at helping somebody and, and you're not letting on how much it's costing you, but, but you know, you're feeling it on the inside. And then when you get done and, and they don't say thank you. And, and this verse is letting us know that, that Jesus feels that way too. 
Jesus doesn't take, you know, a humble and real godly stand on it and just ignore the fact that the other nine are. He says, hey! Where are the nine? And I feel bad for the guy because it ain't the guy's fault. None of the rest of them came back. But Jesus still charged him up and made him answer because he was the only joker standing there that knew the answer. Where are the nine? And then I want you to notice, he said, has no one come back to give glory to God? Or has no one returned to give glory to God except this? And then Jesus calls him a foreigner. I am not sent but into the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Thanks, son. I am not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Lord, please help me. It is not meet for me to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. At least he used the word foreigner for the man. But to the foreign woman, he called her a... And he's standing there and he's saying, wait a second, I can't be seeing this. You mean nine descendants of Abraham, my covenant people, that I have manifested myself as the eternal word now down into human flesh to come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You mean I did this for them and they didn't even come back to say thank you? And you feel the pain of the Lord. And then he just lets something leak out. It's just a little, it's just a little droplet of revelation about praise and worship. Because look at what he calls praise and worship and thanksgiving. He said, has no one returned except this foreigner to give glory to God? Now listen, Jesus didn't need the praise, but he wanted it. All of a sudden, he, he, just, he just let his heart leak out of his mouth, and it revealed to us that God gets something out of it when we say thank you. You know, a lot of times, we try to crank up praise, and we try to push you to praise, and we've almost conditioned the church that praise is to make the service better, or praise is to make people feel better. But, but really, the heart of praise is that the infinite God, the all-knowing God, who is completely sufficient within himself, doesn't need anything, but there is one thing he wants. He gets glory when his people that he's done something for will praise him.
Even people that don't feel like it sometimes, and, and even people that that's not my culture, or that's not my background, I'm just not a loud person. I don't clap my hands. I don't raise my voice. I don't dance. I don't shout. Even those people, when they cast off all of their inhibitions and they have the passion to love him enough to give him a crazy praise and to fall down at his feet like the leopard did and reach for his feet and say, you've been so good to me. I was, I was in a low place. I was in a desolate place. I was in a desperate place. You had to go out of your way to save me, but I just came back to thank you for all you've done for me. That kind of praise gives glory to, to God. I just wonder, maybe there's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people in here that he's done something for. I just wonder there's a few people that were in a bad spot, in a rough spot, in a down place, in a rough season, going through a bad time. Are there any praisers in the house? Now I'm almost done, but but I want to close the message with with uh, three reasons why I returned. Imagining myself, putting myself in the shoes of the man, I just I wrote it in the first person. The reasons why I returned, because if you have an inquiring mind, you have to wonder what was what was different about this fella. Point number one: reasons why I returned. He did not possess a spirit of entitlement. Perhaps because verse 16 tells us he was a Samaritan. Now, at this time, the Romans oppressed the Jews. And, you know, when you're being oppressed, a lot of times and you can't do nothing about it, you look for somebody else you can oppress. You know? Right now, when, when Levi, pushes, uh, Levi pushes Sam, Sam will go and push the dog, you know? <laughs> Military has this statement. It's not really clean, but, it, you know, it's stuff rolls downhill. <laughs> I cleaned that up for you. It's, it just keeps rolling downhill. So the Romans oppressed the Jews. So the, the Jews, they oppressed the Samaritans. The, the Samaritans were at the bottom of the social scale. They were the lowest of the low. And maybe that's why he came back. Maybe that's why he came back. Maybe the other nine descendants from Abraham, maybe they thought they were entitled to God's blessing and his miracles. Maybe they thought they deserved the blessing. Maybe they thought they deserved getting cleansed and having their bodies restored. Maybe they thought they deserved it like spoiled children. They had no instinct to say thank you. But this man who was on the bottom anyway, 
When God takes people from the bottom to the top, he does it because if you've always been on the bottom, you don't know how to look down at your nose at anybody anyway. If you've always been in a bad spot and God raises you up, you don't know how to be hateful to people because you're just used to everybody else being hateful to you. That's why God loves promoting people from the bottom. God loves taking people like David that everybody else hated on so bad, he couldn't afford to hate anybody himself. God loves taking those kind of people and elevating them. Because when they get in the position, they do not possess a spirit of entitlement. As God elevates you to new levels, the first test you will always have to pass is passing the test of whether you're entitled or not. Whether or not you feel like you deserve it. Number two, he knew the odds were against his recovery. Society was against him, and his disease was incurable. He had no way out. But God made a way. The best praise always comes from people who had no way out. Oh, God, I wish I could have somebody to feel me. When you're in a situation and you try everything and you come to the logical conclusion that there is no way out and then God makes a way when there wasn't a way before, it'll change the way you praise him. It'll change the way you praise him. It'll turn a cold clap into someone falling down on their face, grabbing onto his feet, not even letting him move, just hugging on his legs, weeping all over him. When God makes a way where there was no way, I know I ain't by myself. There's a few people in here that have watched God make. Oh, has he ever made a way where there was no way he made a way and so he came back because he knew the odds were against his recovery what I love about Christian world is there's a lot of people in here that have beat the odds there's a lot of families in here that have beat the odds there's a lot of success stories in here that have beat the odds and I know it gets on some people's nerves but all of the odd beaters we're gonna stand up for about 20 seconds and we're gonna open up our mouth and we're going to raise our hands and we're going to make some noise and we're going to give God some glory because he's been good to us. See, you don't understand it because you don't know that you're looking at somebody that knows he should not be here. Maybe that's why God uses people that find themselves in situations they can't get out of. Because when God brings you through something and you knew the odds were against you, no matter how high he takes you, 
you'll always remember where you were with your back against the wall and and the odds against your recovery you'll always remember all of the percentages that were against you and how there was no hope for somebody like you to recover and so God can afford to bless you and to raise you up because when everybody goes to sleep you're stumbling around in the kitchen with a tear streaming down your face saying God I still remember that it was you and only you I still remember how you made a way from me I still remember I wish I had somebody to help me preach I still I still remember now you ain't giving him a rowdy praise yet you ain't giving him a thankful praise yet you ain't giving him a rambunctious praise yet we've been locked up for eight weeks I need the crazy people, the radical people, the free people, the thankful people. Get you some space and give God some praise in the house. Number three, he returned because he said, I've noticed I no longer look like. Oh, hallelujah. I'm still me, but I no longer look like I've been through what I've been through. See, some of us, just, just to be able to get to a certain point in life, cut you up pretty bad with scars. Some of you, just to be able to survive your childhood, it cuts you up pretty bad with scars. Some of you had to have a whole lot of things fall off of you in order for you to just get to the place that you're at. And so you're here, and you come to God, and you're, you're, you're there, and you, you survived it, but, but you got a whole lot of residue on you from what you've been through in your life. But this, this leper had something happen to him. On the way to go show himself to the priest, he got cleansed. But on the way back to give Jesus the praise, 
Not only did he not have any sores oozing pus anymore, not only did he not have that bacterial disease anymore, but on his way to give Jesus the praise, his scars from the torment that he went through had vanished and his skin was without one blemish. Because God will heal you, but praise will restore you. God will heal you, but praise will wipe the dirt and the debris and the mess and the junk. The scripture says in the book of Psalms that praise is comely for the upright. For the upright. In the Hebrew, it means that praise benefits your appearance. That praise will take years of drug abuse off your face. That praise will take years where your mouth was trained to frown. Your countenance was trained to scowl. Praise will take years of that off. Praise will beautify you. It'll beautify you. You ought to lift up your hands right now. It'll beautify you. See, God's very nature and essence is reciprocity. It's impossible for you to give God glory and God to leave you empty. As you're on your way to praise, as you lift your hands to praise, as you open your mouth to praise, as tears begin to stream down your face, you're giving God something, but make no mistake, He's giving you something too. There's always an exchange when you return. To praise and he said the last reason I came back is I realized I I don't look like what I've been through you wouldn't believe my story if I told you <laughs> Ooh, hallelujah! somebody wouldn't believe your childhood if they told you look at you now with that successful marriage and that strong job and you got things going for you and if people knew your story they would not believe it because you do not look like what you've been through everybody else on the family is addicted to medication you're the only one you don't look like what you've been through everybody else's marriage fell apart in the family you're the only one. You was in the same house, but something different happened to you. You're the only one that doesn't look like what you've been through. So he said, I had to come back. The other nine, they're on their way to go live their life and enjoy what you've done, but I had to put mine on pause because... I thought there was more value in coming and grabbing a hold of your feet. The leper doesn't go back and seek Jesus' face. He doesn't go back and seek Jesus' hand. He goes back and he seeks his feet. And he said, I
is so near. And I, I know it's not polite, and I know it's not decorum, but I, I just, I just want to worship at your feet. Yeah. Jesus looks at him. Now, before he had dealt with the leprosy, everybody, everybody has more than one thing wrong with them. Jesus looks at him and he says, your faith, now the man's already healed him. Your faith has made you well. The Greek word there is whole. Meaning because you came back, there's not one area in your life I'm going to leave untouched. That's the last thing I want to tell you. God's not going to leave one area of your life untouched. Every area in your life he wants to touch. I know I'm talking to people that have been through a lot. I know I'm talking to people that have still got a lot facing you. But God sees you. He's gone out of his way to send grace. The gospel of Jesus Christ has flung its doors open to any who will believe with their heart and confess with their mouth. And then, and then, he can cleanse what's wrong. And he can make whole every area of your life. And when he does, make sure you fall into the 10%. Not the 90. Make sure you're always a person that returns to say thank you. Could you lift up your hands one more time? All over this place. Just however you do it, whatever's in your heart, thank you, Lord. We praise you and we worship you. We give you the glory. We understand it was you was not by might it is not by power it's been your hand it's been your spirit it's been your strength and we thank you Lord for all you've done for us we understand it was you and Lord we worship you in this place we worship you in this place Making Jesus Christ Lord of your life, having your sins cleansed, is as simple as inward belief and outward confession. Paul details it in Romans. With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The lepers did the same thing. They saw Jesus, they believed, they cried out, have mercy on me. If you're a sinner and you need saving, it's as simple as this, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've committed sin. Today I ask you to help me repent, to save me, to come into my heart. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe by the power of the Father you were raised to life on the third day. Today I receive you. Today I accept you. And today I give you praise for saving me. 
Come on and do it all over the room. Come on and do it one more time as we close. One more time. All right, listen, the band's going band's gonna to play for a little bit, and they're going to sing. A lot of people aren't ready for uh, prayer yet, you know, laying on of hands and all that. Uh, I ain't scared of you at all. I ain't scared of you at all. So, if you want prayer, if you are in need of that, I am bound by a New Testament doctrine that says the laying on of hands is part of the core doctrines of the New Testament church. And I'm not going to withhold that out of fear. So um, if you would like hands laid on you and prayed, um, stick around. We will do that for as many people as desire it. Uh, but I'm going to dismiss the rest of you. If, if, if you're good, if, if you've received ministry and you're ready to go, you're going to be fine to go. I want to ask you for our special offering today to honor Christian World with a, a $37 offering just to, just to memorialize 37 years. Uh, it's been an amazing, amazing 37 years, and I want to honor this great church that's still in the middle of construction with a, a special offering. And if God has blessed you and you want to do more than that or you want to do double that, do whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do. But if you're watching me online or you're in the building, I encourage you, get a $37 offering and let's bring it to the Lord out of gratitude. God's been good to you. Let's honor him with an offering. There's three ways to give. You can give on our website. You can text to give or you can just reach and get an envelope in front of you. If you're texting, text CWMSA, all caps, just like it says on the screen, CWMSA to 77977. And uh, you can participate in that offering that way. Raise up your hands. May the Lord God bless you. May the Lord God keep you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. May he rain on your seed. May you go from this place in the strength and the might of God infused with the wisdom and the power and the inspiration that comes from the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.